0: We are entering into that part of First Kings and Second Kings, and that relates to us the ministries of the prophets Elijah and Elisha. And uh, as we begin this series, uh, it's my prayer that uh, the Lord will use these uh, this time that we have uh, looking at their ministries as a great blessing to us. Uh, they are the non-writing. Prophets. So uh, other prophets we know because we have books that are named uh, by them. And then uh, Elijah and Elisha uh, do not have such books, but we read about the way the Lord used them mightily. So in 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning at verse 1, we're going to read through verse 16. Hear the word of God. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbit of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and he lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, And now I am gathering a couple of sticks, that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it, and bring it to me. And afterward make something for yourself and your son." For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, And she and her household ate for many days, and the jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. So ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do bow before you, expressing to you our humble need, how we do need your Holy Spirit how we do need your word as you have caused us to love you as you have opened our hearts to receive that which you have revealed to us in your word we ask O God that you would cause the dew and the rain of the nourishment that your word gives to fall upon our souls Grant, O Lord, that we might live to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You remember that uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, is in a period of political turmoil. She has had a succession of kings. And those kings have uh, been the object of intrigue and murder. Uh, There have been assassinations, and the kings of Israel do not last long, for the most part. In addition to that, idolatry is rampant in the northern kingdom of Israel, and great evil. The king that is the object of Elijah's attention, Ahab, is a king who has, in some ways, the place of an antichrist in the nation Of Israel. He is openly opposed to the worship of Yahweh, of God, the God of Israel, and he is importing in its place the worship of Baal. And it is to Ahab that Elijah says these words There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The prophet Elijah then announces this terrible judgment of God upon a wicked nation. In the ancient Near East, normally there was a period that was a dry season of several months' duration, and when there would uh, be a lack of rain, they would always count upon the dew to fall at night. And the dew would wet the ground. What Elijah announces is that there will be no rain and there will be no dew. And for there to be neither of these will, over an extended period of time, turn the land of milk and honey into desert. When we hear these words, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Our attention is immediately riveted to Elijah. Elijah is the one who by his prayer to God is confronting the worship of Baal with the judgment of God. And he is, by his assertion, that there will be no more dew or rain except by my word, asserting the sovereignty of God and the power of God over the rain and over the dew and over all of nature to announce that Baal is not the god of rain and fertility as was thought. And so, Elijah, in a sense, declares divine warfare against idols. And uh, you can understand that when he uh, announces this, he becomes the center of uh, Ahab's attention. And I think you can probably rightly infer from the text that his own life is in some danger, although that's not really predominant in the chapter that we have read. Yet, um, as one who has spoken this judgment, you can be sure, and we know and we learn later, that Ahab sent out posses to look for Elijah in every nation and kingdom known to him. He was unable to find Elijah. As we think about Elijah in this text... We need to think of him as the one who is the bearer of the word of God. He is the one who is the representative of God in Israel. And he is the one who holds the key. As God himself holds the key to Israel's uh, fertility and reign or the lack of it. How will the Lord now direct Elijah that he has announce this terrible judgment upon the northern kingdom of Israel. That's the subject of chapter 17. And I think we can summarize the teaching of this chapter in this sentence. In trying times, God's people can fully trust in God's directing, saving, and sustaining word. In trying times, God's people can fully trust in God's directing, saving, and sustaining word. And I'm looking at this chapter, I'm dividing it into uh, two major headings, both kind of taking their their, their uh, point of, uh, of departure from this phrase, Depart, uh, the word of the Lord came uh, to him. The word of the Lord came to him. And we read that in verse 2 and also in verse 8. In both of those instances in which the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the word of the Lord directs Elijah in a certain direction and instructs him what he is to do and so I think we can look at these this section of this chapter that we have read under these two headings God's word directs his messenger to hide himself by the brook Cherith east of the Jordan and then secondly God's word directing his messenger to go to Zarephath I like to look at both of these first God's word directing his messenger to hide himself by the brook Cherith. brook Cherith is a small brook off of the Jordan River, and uh, it is a, a secluded, hidden place. Notice the command to Elijah, Hide yourself. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And uh, we see that uh, Elijah uh, immediately responds by obeying this command, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith. We know that because in verse 5 we read, and so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and he lived by the brook Cherith, that is, east of the Jordan. I'd like to just call your attention to the fact that the writer of Kings gives the word of the Lord giving a command to Elijah and also gives, in in, in almost the next verse, Elijah's response to the command that he has been given in the exact same language where we read that he did according to the word of the Lord. And then it says that he went and he lived in Cherith, east of the Jordan. There's a repetition of that same language. And that is meant to, we're meant to notice that. What we notice then is that Elijah is one who is obedient to the command of God. He is one who is, uh, as they say, practices what he is, uh, uh, has been a preacher of, that is, of righteousness. James in the New Testament refers to Elijah as a man of prayer, He calls Elijah a righteous man. And he is righteous because he obeys the commandments of God. God commands him and he obeys. But we notice that uh, what he's doing here is removing Elijah and hiding the one who is the instrument of the word of God from the people of Israel. That's really what's happening here. The Lord is acting in such a way as to remove his word from the nation of Israel. He's announced the judgment, and now the one who has announced that judgment is to go into seclusion. And he does. And so, because of Israel's hardness of heart, the Lord here removes the one who is the instrument or the preacher of the word. They did not repent. They could have at any point in which the prophets came to them. Israel did not repent. Neither did they turn to the Lord. They didn't value that word of God that had been preached to them, and therefore the Lord removes it from them. You think of even the area in which we live in New England, how many white churches sit in prominent places in the uh, centers of the towns of New England. And how many of those prominent buildings are empty of the word of God. And so what we need to see is that that emptiness and that The lack of the preaching of the gospel is here said to be a judgment upon the nation of Israel. Prophet Amos, some hundred years after, Elijah would write these words. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread or of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. So what is taking place here is the announcement of the famine and of the lack of rain or dew, but it is also the implementation of the withdrawal of the word of God. Martin Luther said to his fellow Germans at the time of the Protestant Reformation, he said, I consider that Germany has never before heard so much of God's word as now. But if we let it pass by without thanks and honor, I am afraid that we shall have to suffer plague and grimmer darkness. My dear Germans, buy while the mar is at your door. Gather in while the sun is shining and the weather good. Make use of God's word of grace while it is there. How conscious are we? How aware are we? Sunday after Sunday as we come to this place and as Christians gather in Bible preaching churches throughout our land and around the world, how aware are we of the inestimable privilege of hearing the preaching of the word of God and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a great, great privilege. And so Martin Luther, in saying these words, my dear Germans, he says, make use of God's word of grace while it is there. While the Lord is proclaiming himself to you in mercy, respond to that which you hear. That's what he's saying. And it's a word that we also need to hear we need to ask ourselves as we sit in the pews, where are our minds? Where are our hearts? Are these things precious to us? Are we looking around? Are we, are we engaged in thinking about anything and any, anything else but that which is being proclaimed, the Word of God, to us? How precious it is, how it is food for the soul. And everyone who knows the Lord Jesus Christ is taught this truth, that it is God's word that sustains us. And we ought to be so grateful when it is faithfully preached to us. And we ought to see to it that we do not sit passively as listeners, but that we eat and drink and that we take to heart that which we hear that's one thing I think that we can learn from the removal of the word of God from Israel at this time. And then we, we read that Elijah then goes and lives by the brook. And he, we're told that he went and he lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. I do love the last part of verse 4 where the lord says to elijah that he's to go here why because i have commanded the ravens to feed you the lord god of israel the god of heaven and earth the god who created all things the universe says here that he has commanded the birds, to feed Elijah. And not only birds, but birds that would have been for Israelites. Um, not something that they would want to go anywhere near. Unclean. They were scavengers. And here what the Lord is doing is using this, these unclean birds to, in a sense, deny their own natures, and rather than eat the food that they find to bring food to Elijah. It is a wonderful illustration of the power of God over nature, and we're reminded of God's absolute sovereignty over that which he has made, and the means that he uses is so unusual that the ravens should feed Elijah and provide him with physical food. But Elijah, in this time of, of loneliness, he's, he's by himself, as far as we know, and, and he's secluded. We have, you know, uh, here we have the contrast between his public ministry and then his time of withdrawal and being alone. And here he is tended to and cared for by the God who has him as the apple of his eye and who will sustain him so that he can continue to do the work that God has called him to do. The same is true for you and for me. God, in his secret providence, by his word, controls all of the events and all of the circumstances and the unfolding of the events of your life, the trials and the difficulties. All of this is controlled by God's word and his providence. We see in this sort of microcosm of of, uh, God's control of the ravens and using them to feed Elijah something of uh, a picture of God's provision for not only his servants, the servant of the word, Elijah, but for all of his children He cares for Elijah, and he cares for you and me. In a way, we might say that Elijah represents the church in exile, the church in the wilderness. We read in the book of Revelation that when the dragon had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who gave birth to the male child. And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness. The wilderness. Isn't that where Elijah is? In the wilderness. And it says that as the woman went into the wilderness, she was there to be nourished. She was there to be nourished. For a time and times and half a time. There are those times in our lives where God pulls us aside, and he protects and keeps, but he nurtures and he cares and he feeds as we go through times of seclusion, maybe, or difficulty. And he does that by means of his word. How precious it is that he does this for Elijah. The second thing I'd like for us to notice is Elijah being directed by the word of God to go to Zarephath. Because you see, what happens is that the brook dries up. And Elijah must have watched the brook dry up because as the rains became less and less, and the brook became drier and drier, that, wa- that water became less and less. And as he watched it, no doubt he wondered what the Lord would do. Well, the word of God came to him again. In verse 9, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and I dwell there. And, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, God has commanded the ravens to feed you. Now he has commanded a widow to feed Elijah. The word of the Lord leads Elijah to Zarephath, which is by Sidon. Now, Zarephath is... Um, Zarephath is 8 miles south of Sidon and 13 miles north of Tyre. And you know where that's really near? It's right near where Ahab's wife comes from, Jezebel. And so what is God doing? He's directing Elijah to go from a place of seclusion to a more, more of a town or a city, To the place where Baal is worshiped and where Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, originates. Where does he go? He is directed to go to a poor widow, and her name is never given. And that's an interesting thing. We know about her, but we don't know her name. But she joins the likes of other Gentiles like Melchizedek, Moses' father Jethro, or Rahab the prostitute, or Ruth, or Naaman the Syrian general, all of them outsiders, and yet all of them too, were the objects of God's word and God's mercy. What is happening here is that God's grace is in God's word is being extended beyond Israel and taken into the sea in the heart of enemy territory. It has been ignored by Israel and it is taken instead to a Gentile area to a widow. One of the the things that Moses said to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 32, he told of a time when Israel would provoke the anger of the Lord. And the Lord predicted that he would hide his face from Israel. And that is, in a sense, what is happening here. Elijah is being taken from place to place to be cared for, but it is not in Israel And Moses said in Deuteronomy 32, verse 21, they have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people, and I will provoke them to anger with a foolish." nation notice the exact reciprocity there on the one hand Israel has provoked the Lord's jealousy with that which is no God and so God then says I will provoke their jealousy with those who are no people to them and I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation The fact that Elijah is directed to go to Zarephath in the heart of Gentile territory to a widow who is poor is mentioned by Jesus Christ in his first sermon in the town of Nazareth where he preached there to people who knew him as he had grown up. And he said to them, uh, it's interesting, in that sermon, they all responded, it says, favorably, wondering where he got all the wisdom, where Jesus got all of his wisdom. And uh, then Jesus said this, and he, did, he provoked them. And he said this, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in our, your, your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was not sent, he was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath. In the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. The significance of Elijah's going to a widow in Zarephath was that God was bypassing the widows of Israel and going to a Gentile. This made Jesus's hearers so angry that they attempted to kill him and throw him over a cliff. The importance of this unnamed widow, she is a sign to Israel. She is a sign of God's gracious dealings with the Gentiles. Elijah's obedience is exactly recorded. Again, we're told in verse 10, So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, And so his obedience to the Lord's command is mentioned again. Elijah not only uh, is a person who preaches obedience, but he practices that himself. So it ought to be the goal that we set for ourselves, that we would be those who comply to the commandments of God that we would realize that we cannot attain any merit by our obedience. And nothing that we offer to God by means of obedience to him has anything but stain and pollution attached to it. And yet it ought to be the desire of everyone who follows Christ to please him by obeying his commandments. So Elijah, on his arrival to the city, It's interesting, God gives Elijah certain commandments, but we're not told other things. For example, how is he to know who this widow was? How is he to meet her? There was no appointment made. They didn't have any, uh, uh, there were no instructions as to how that would take place. And so like Abraham's servant who traveled to find a wife for Isaac, uh, Elijah noticed this woman. Who was poor who was picking up sticks and she and he trusting in god's guidance began to speak with her it seems almost as though these things happen just by chance but we know that that is not the case god is providentially directing everything that happens with elijah he is leading him step by step it had been decreed it had been arranged and God is leading Elijah I like the statement that A.W. Pink makes about this he says it is sheer unbelief which disconnects the ordinary things of life from God all our circumstances and all our experiences are directed by the Lord and he says this cultivate that holy habit of seeing the hand of God in everything that happens to you I don't often tell stories uh, about what happens in my life but I had something happen uh, about a week ago I was on the mass pike and I had a tire blow out I heard a loud pop under my car and I'm thinking oh no So I pulled off to the breakdown lane. I got out and I looked at my tires. They all looked like they had air in them. So I said, well, what do I do? I guess I just keep going. It was just a little ways from the Lee exit. So by the time I got to the Lee exit and to the end of the ramp, and those of you who know that area know that right across from that end of that ramp is a big Y service station. So I pulled into that Big Y service station, and lo and behold, there's an air station there that has free air. Just for your information, in case you ever need it. But I pulled in there, and um, boy, I don't know. I don't know whether it's my age or what. It's been a long time since I've changed a tire. And I'm scratching my head, and I'm trying to. I'm, I'm trying to think. Okay, what do I do? <laughs> you know. And um, I noticed that this. Hispanic young man comes out of the gas station, and his truck was parked right next to where I pulled my car in. And he's walking around, and he's looking at me, and he's looking at the car. And uh, before I knew it, he had taken all the bolts off of my tire, helped me put the donut that was in the trunk onto the onto the thing so I could drive off. And uh, I was just, I was just, away. Um, so grateful for this young guy, and I kept saying, "Thank you so much, thank you." And he said, "Well, he says you're about the same age as my father is." And I thought, "Wow, oh, that is just special." And um, and uh, so when we finished the whole thing, I, you know, I I pull out my wallet. I felt like I needed to pay him. And uh, he didn't want to take the money, but I insisted that he take it. But afterwards, I got to thinking, I, I drove off. You know, you, it, you, know you, don't, you don't think about things in the moment. But later I got to reflecting. And I thought, that's the Lord's care for me through this young man. And I, it touched me in a way that I haven't felt in a long time that God knew and he arranged it that there would be someone there to help me change that tire. Now that, in the whole scheme of things, not really important. But it's a story to illustrate this fact, what A.W. Pink says when he says, cultivate the holy habit of seeing the hand of God in everything that happens to you. I could have driven off and not given it another thought and said, oh, well, that's great. Or I can connect that to God. And I can say, this is the Lord's doing. So what I want you to do in your life is to do what A.W. Pink says and cultivate the holy habit of seeing God in the ordinary things of your life. God is at work. God is helping you. God is directing you. And that's what is going on in Elijah's life. What's going on in Elijah's life? He doesn't know. He's stumbling around. He doesn't know how he's going to meet this widow, how he's going to recognize her, but he begins to ask her questions. And the exchange between them is so revealing. He says to her, bring me a little water. And as she's going to bring him water, he makes another request that had to be extremely difficult for her to hear. He says, as she, as she was going to bring it, verse 11, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And then in verse 12, you have her response. She said, as the Lord your God lives, now she recognizes that Elijah is from Israel and that the Lord is the God of Israel, but she calls him your God. As the Lord your God lives, I have ba- I have nothing baked and only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. Now I'm, go- I'm gathering sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die So there you have what what she was thinking she was hopeless in this situation she had nothing and she was preparing working to gather sticks so that she could prepare what she had left and then die what a statement and what a request for elijah he pushed her didn't he he sent her for water first, and then he says, "Bring me a morsel of bread." And that's what got the reaction from her, and that's what made her unburden herself to him. But notice Elijah's response. I find this—I find this uh, conversation between Elijah and the widow so illuminating. Verse thirteen, he says, "Do not fear. Do not fear." don't be afraid do what you were planning to do go and do as you have said But first first make me a little cake of it don't be afraid to do what I'm asking you to do Do you feel the tenderness in that Do you feel that what he's requesting of her is eliciting a response of faith in the God of Israel She's not there yet. He's pushing her to the limit. But he's sweetening it and softening it and saying, don't be afraid. Go ahead. Do what you're thinking, but just do it this way. Honor me first. Bring it to me first. And that's what he says to her. But that was a huge request. Think of it, if you had a son and you were dying of starvation, what would you do? It's a very, very big request. And so then what he says to her, he says, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, not my God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Exodus, The God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. So he announces to her this promise, this promise. Ralph Davis says in his commentary on this, he says, Could there be... Could there be a clearer picture of what faith is? What was Elijah doing? He gave her a promise to rest and rely upon, and then he invited her to walk out and put her full confidence and her full weight on that promise, on the word of God. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. This is not Elijah's private consolation. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. He invites her. He pushes her, but he he does it invitingly. Don't be afraid. Walk out on this promise. Put your weight upon it. It is both a command and an invitation at the same time. Could there be a clearer picture of what faith is. Faith is staking everything, staking everything, your whole life on the word of God. Faith is wagering it all upon the truth of God. The beautiful, every line in this exchange is meaningful. Look at verse 15. She went and did what Elijah said. She went and did what Elijah said. Here is a true daughter of Abraham. Here is a true sister of Rahab. Out of her desperate need, both for herself and for her son, she staked everything on the word of God given to her by Elijah. You see, God withdrew his word from Israel. Look what he's done here for this widow in Zarephath. Israel lost Elijah, but the poor widow in a heathen land found him. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful picture of what faith is. She went and did what Elijah told her. James says that's really the way faith is. It acts. It works. And she did what Elijah said. Uh, a famous Dutch preacher by the name of Krumacher writes about, he, he, he thinks about what this stay of Elijah with his widow must have been like when they together depended upon God for the replenishment of the flour and the oil. And he says this, Can we doubt for a moment that the prophet most gladly opened his mouth in divine wisdom to impart it to the soul of this simple believing sister? Can we doubt that they must have prayed together? That they read together out of Moses and the prophets? That they conversed together about the day of Christ, which Abraham saw with gladness? And would they not think you occasionally raised a spiritual song to the honor of their Lord and Savior. How swiftly and pleasantly must the hours have passed with them, and well might the angels of God have rejoiced, as no doubt they did over this little church in the wilderness. Behold, here then, my brethren, the bright egress, the happy termination of a path which commenced in such thick darkness." End of quote. I am picking up sticks to prepare what I have left, so that I and my son can go and die. The prophet gives her a promise. She believes it. And you know what? And this is, this is the triumphant conclusion of it all, verse eight, uh, 16. The jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah that's the triumphant conclusion God's word can be trusted god's word came true the oil was replenished day by day continuing it wasn't they weren't uh, they didn't have their cupboards stacked but the, the oil was replenished day by day. And Day by day, they trusted together, Elijah and this widow. So I want to close with this meditation. And um, I draw this from uh, Ralph Davis, who beautifully uh, brings our thoughts to this. He says this, We all will on our deathbed Step into eternity with nothing to support us, except God's word. I will never leave you or forsake you. He who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Your sins are forgiven. Those are promises. We will all step into eternity. On our deathbed, we will step into eternity with nothing to support us. Those promises. Death is a great leveler, isn't it all? Nothing to rely upon but the promise of God. Robert Bruce, a great uh, Scottish preacher who lived from 1554 to 1631, A minister in the city of Edinburgh, in his last breakfast when he knew that he was being called home, asked his younger daughter to open his Bible to the 8th chapter of Romans. His eyes failed, but his memory held as he repeated the last part of the chapter. And when he got to verse 38 and verse 39 which say, says this, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He told his daughter to put his finger on those words. So she put his finger on those words And when she had done that, he said to her, I die believing these words. May God give us that triumphant faith in the word of God, not only to die, but to live. that we might rest and trust and know that God's word is directing and that God's word is sustaining and that God's word is keeping us. We can put all of our trust in it. We can walk out into eternity knowing that it is true, that he indeed loves us. Has given to us the free gift of eternal life. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, how we thank you for this widow, this poor woman who was at the end of her ropes, who was offered a promise, a promise from God Almighty. She laid hold of it. And you gave to her that sustenance that she needed, not only physically, but spiritually. Lord, may we be given by your grace the ability to do likewise. Lay hold of that promise that is given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.